Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. If you're new here, welcome to the podcast for the very first time. I'm so glad that you decide to come in and listen. Um, I want to give out the National Domestic Violence Hotline number right off the bat. That number is 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-7233. Also, um, if you're in any danger, please do not listen to this podcast. Um, Don't want don't want you to be into an actual situation, um, so please don't listen and dial 911 if you're in immediate danger. Um, get into a safe place, get a safety plan going. Um, DomesticShelters.org is also a wonderful place to get information about your local crisis lines and your um, national or your state um, lines for you to call and get some assistance if you're in need of shelter or if you're just in need of some assistance you can always go on domesticshelters.org and they can help you um with those those things um so today's guest um without further ado i want to introduce miss Lori. i mean i said Lori. leslie morgan steiner it's okay it's okay um so if <laughs> if we if i have uh permission to record we're gonna record Yes, you have permission to great, record. Great, great, great. So, Leslie, I'm so sorry. I just jacked you and said Lori. <laughs> I've been wanting to call you Lori for a whole week, and I'm like, that's not a Lori. That's Leslie. So, Leslie is the author of the book Crazy Love, which was and is a New York Times bestseller. Um, and so she's also a part, or she did a TED Talk. And if, and if all of you are living under a rock, you don't know this TED Talk. You need to go look it up. Um, so she did it on why women stay in domestic violence. It is the best TED talk I've ever, no, no shade on anyone else's TED talk, but it's one of the best, um, domestic violence TED talks that there ever has been. Um, it changed my life and it inspired me and she inspired me with her story. So thank you so much, Leslie, for being on the podcast. I'm sorry I jacked up the first <laughs> I have a really thick skin, and that's completely fine, and it's an honor to be here with you today. Good, I'm so glad. So, we're just girlfriends talking over coffee, by the way, and so, but I I would like for you to, like, talk about what you want to talk about, and especially if you want to share your story on the podcast, that would be wonderful. I would love to, because I really believe that sharing our stories gives us so much strength and hope to get out of bad situations and to never repeat the same mistakes. And my story is that I never in my wildest dreams thought that any man would want to hurt me. Um, I grew up in a family where I was close to my father and my brother. There was no violence in my house. My mother thought that girls were just as good as boys and we could do anything we set our minds to do. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a lawyer in Washington, D.C. And I was a real goody two-shoes as a kid, and I studied very, very hard. And um, I went to Harvard College as a result, which is where both of my parents had gone, and they really wanted me to go there. 
And when I graduated, I got a job at Seventeen Magazine in New York, which um, I had, when I was in college, I had suffered really terribly from anorexia. And I'd written an article about it called Starving for Perfection that Seventeen published. And that's how I got the job. So I get to New York and I decide that because I hadn't dated for so long because I had so much personal stuff to clean up in my life that I was going to start dating like like a crazy woman in New York City. And I had so much fun. And I serendipitously met this guy on the New York City subway who was, oh gosh, he was like, a, it was like meeting a farm boy in the middle of the, the New York City. You know, he had this like beautiful thick hair. He was sweet and innocent and charming. He had also just graduated from an Ivy League school. He worked at a big investment bank. So I thought he was safe. He just felt safe to me from the very minute I met him. He felt like family. And he asked me out and I said yes. And we started dating. And before I knew it, I had fallen in love, like falling off a cliff, Misty. It mm. was, he worshipped me. I was the prettiest girl he'd ever met. He loved that I was really smart, that I'd gone to this, you know, big, impressive Ivy League college, that I had, that I was trying to help other teenage girls navigate their lives. Like, this man saw me. He understood me, and he made me feel like, I was alive for the first time in my life and it was magical and nothing about it was frightening. There were no red flags. It was just absolutely wonderful. And I'll pause for just a second because I want to make a note here from my perspective. Now, this is the way every single domestic violence victim that I've ever talked to describes the beginning. Mm. The beginning is magical and it doesn't, come with a warning label. It doesn't say, you know, warning, warning, this feels like real love, but it's actually the most dangerous thing that's ever happened to you. It felt safe and it felt like he loved me more than anyone, more than my own mother had loved me, that he was going to protect me. He was, in addition to being really smart, he was really strong. He had a black belt in karate and a black sash in Kung Fu. And he'd been a runner up in um, like uh, his state's um, weightlifting national uh, statewide weightlifting competition. He was really muscular and, um, God, I felt so wonderful with him. And it wasn't until months and actually years later that the red flags of abuse started to appear. And that's why I'm with you today is that I want to tell this story so that other people who are going through the same thing can get out long before I did so that you can see some of the red flags. And what I want to say is that our society teaches us that love is supposed to be like a fairy tale. And that's the biggest red flag of all. It's not when it's real love. It's not like a fairy tale from the very beginning. It's real and sometimes messy and sometimes embarrassing and sometimes uncomfortable when it feels so perfect, like it did for me and Connor, that's when you have to be careful. And I'm just going to pause now because I could talk for an entire hour straight um, and let you ask some questions or direct me into what you think your audience is going to want to hear, the details they're going to want to hear. But I just told you that was the beginning. Right, right. So, yeah, it's always a love bomb, you know. And then when it goes in, like, the very beginning when it's a love bomb, it, it 
it then kind of gradually, and I don't know if you dealt with this like I did as a, as a victim of DV, um, then you start to play, he starts to play on your sympathy. Like he has trauma that happened to him in the past, right? So, so all the times that you're abused, He's like, well, you know, I went through this too, you know, and, and this, this is causing me distress and this and that. And so you start trauma bonding with him. That's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll never forget the night that he told me that he had been physically abused as a little boy. Mm. And he, you know, he's talking about this and we were outside, we we're having a picnic outside and it was a sunny afternoon and I had on sunglasses and the tears kept like pooling behind my sunglasses because it was such a sad story. And he was telling it like, like he was laughing about it. He, you know, he was talking about starting at age four, his stepfather had beaten him. And, you know, I never even knew anybody who was spanked as a kid. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't spanking. This was his stepfather broke his nose, broke his arm, broke his collarbone, broke his ribs beat his mother in front of him, starved him in front of the other children. Like the most horrific thing I'd ever heard of. And I'm crying and crying. And it was like my heart broke open for this little boy. Mm -hmm. And it also convinced me that he would never, ever do this to anybody else because he was acknowledging how wrong it was. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was sort of a guarantee that he had moved past it and it wouldn't hurt somebody like that. And so it was unbelievable to me when he started doing that same kind of thing to me but of course he didn't like you know wail off and, and smack me in the face one day he started very slowly by emotionally abusing me and and then seeing if I reacted mm -hmm. um and he he started you know I went from being this girl who could do no wrong to getting dressed to go out or getting dressed to go to work and him looking at my skirt and saying, you know, if you wear a short skirt like that, people are going to think you're a slut. Mm. And me just looking, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I, I work at a fashion magazine. I have to wear mini skirts. And him saying that I looked better without makeup and, um, you know, him like making all these like little entrees into controlling what I looked like on the outside and him saying it was for my own good, like he was going to protect me from other people by doing this. But it was really manipulation and control. Mm -hmm. And then there were a couple of really huge red flags that I ignored because he was, because I was really in love with him. And because he, he still felt so safe and protective in other ways. And I think that one of the, the hardest red flags to admit that I ignored is that one night, long before he ever hit me, um, he strangled me while we were making love. And I was like the most vanilla girl. I mean, I really liked sex a lot. But I And I liked sex with him a lot. But I didn't like anything kinky. And I, that's what I thought this was. I thought it was just like, I don't know, weird. And he really got off on it. And then when he was done, I went into the bathroom and threw up because I was so scared by it mm -hmm. and I should have listened to that fear in me but instead because I I didn't have a lot of self-esteem in, in many ways I went back to him and I kind of wrote it off like well it was just a one-time thing and you know maybe it's just a little weird and he never did it again so I thought 
I was able to just compartmentalize it and pretend it hadn't happened. But it was a huge red flag. And there were, he started losing his temper with me a lot and being really possessive, but again, not hitting me, just like getting angry, um, blaming me for things that weren't my fault, punching a wall and saying, you know, if I wasn't such a gentleman, I would hit you because you just made me so angry. Those kind of things that were really clear red flags to me now that I know the pattern of abuse. But at the time, I was just a, you know, I was just a 22-year-old girl who had no experience with any of this and was in love for the first time in my life. And there was pretty much, he could have done anything at that point, and I would have excused it because I was so deeply in love with him, like, like he was a drug that I was addicted to. It was that being in love for the first time for me was that intense. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that was me too. I mean, I was 17 when I got pregnant by my abuser and then 18, I turned 18 right after I had my baby. And then shortly right after that, we got married. So, and he was just like a drug for me. You know, I was just so deeply just enthralled and so deeply in love that, <clears throat> and mine also started out just slowly like an, an emotional, mental um, abuse, you know, and then, and then it progressively, he started out like real, like lightly abusing me physically, like just little bitty things, you know, or um, just small things. And, and it made me think, well, you know, that wasn't that bad. I mean, I'm sure he was just, you know, stressed out or, you know, this and that. And I always made excuses for it. And, and at back then at that time, and I'm sure back when, you know, you were being abused back in those times, we didn't even know what domestic violence was like, you know, I thought it was something <clears throat> that happened. I, I just, I had this idea that it happened only at night mm -hmm. and that the abuser had to be drunk mm. and that you had to be like, I don't know, a woman with no self-esteem and mm -hmm. no value. And I thought that we deserved it if we were abused, that women who were abused deserved it. Because that's what the culture told us. And I, I had people say, you know, eventually when I confided in them, well, you must have provoked him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like that, that just, they were so misguided and so wrong. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, there were people who tried to help me even before the abuse started. And even if they had come up to me and said, look, you're in the early stages of an abusive relationship. These are the red flags and you've got all of them. I wouldn't have listened to any of those people because for me, and I don't know about you, but I think this probably was the case. Part of the abuse was that I felt really sorry for him. And I felt like I was his protector, mm -hmm. that nobody understood him. Nobody believed in him. Women had betrayed him, starting with his mother had betrayed him left, right, and center. And I was going to be the one woman who stood up for him and used all of my power and intelligence and privilege to protect him and to show him what true love was all about. And that made me feel really strong and really powerful. But that was part of the manipulation too. That's what he was doing. He was very, they're, they're very clever what they do. Mm -hmm. And it's like they've all read the same playbook because it's so similar. And I also want to say, women do this to men sometimes too. This is, it's mostly women who are physically abused, but when it happens to a man or when it happens in a same sex relationship, it's still the same playbook. It's still the fairy tale love and then the threat of violence and the emotional abuse 
and then the actual physical abuse. And at that point, they feel safe. We don't feel safe anymore. Right. They feel safe enough to start hitting us because they, they are pretty sure we're not going to do anything about it because they've got the upper hand and they've got control. Right. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. So, you know, we, we both know that, that abuse is circled around the will of control. I mean, the right. circle of control, I mean, it's all about control and that's, that's manipulative um, behavior, you know, that manipulative behavior, physical, you know, and some, and some relationships are not physical and some are just manipulative and mental and emotional abuse, you know, and, and I've quite often I heard. I think that's worse. <clears throat> yeah, that's it's what I was fixing to say. It's harder to spot. Right. Yeah. You know, and it, you think you're crazy. You don't realize yeah. that. It, and then also, a lot in most places, it's not a crime. Emotional mm -hmm. abuse is not a crime, and I think it should be because it's just as destructive and soul killing. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because they gaslight their victims. I mean, you know, to make you think you're crazy. You know, that didn't happen. You see, you just seeing things. You know, I didn't do that. That wasn't my intention. Or right, you're you know. exaggerating. Right. You know, anybody else, any other woman would put up with this. Any other man would be much worse. Mm -hmm. Um, in some ways, I think our society overall gaslights women because we have this mythology that there are no good men out there mm -hmm. you know that you're really lucky if you find any man who loves you who wants to be with you and it makes us set our standards really really low mm -hmm. and i would urge anybody listening right now to do the opposite to set your standards really high and men should really a man a person who loves you will treat you will treat you so well and mm -hmm. make you feel safe and loved all the time not just some of the time right. and you know i don't know about you i don't know when your first incident of abuse happened but for me it was right before we got married it was five days before our wedding because he knew it would be really hard for me to leave then and it shocks me how often the first time they actually hit us is right after we've moved in together or right after they've adopted our children or right as we're about to get married, or right after we get pregnant, because they know, they sense that it's going to be so much harder for us to leave then. Mm -hmm. um, the stakes are much higher. And, you know, it wasn't a coincidence that that's when my first incident happened. And he, he didn't just, you know, he had done little things before, but this was not a little thing. He, he strangled me. He, he choked me. He, he almost killed me five days before our wedding. And, mm. Even with that, I was so conditioned at that point to forgive him and to feel sorry for him and to just say, oh, it was pre-wedding jitters, that even then I didn't tell anybody. And I married him. I married him with little bruises on my neck. Mm. Yeah. Mine didn't start until after we married. And it was like two months after I married him. And then um, it just gradually got worse. And, you know, you were talking about sexual abuse, you know, the sexual abuse part about the choking. To me, that's sexual abuse. It really is. If another partner yeah. really isn't in consent and really is a prayer, afraid or in fear of something that's going on, don't do it. You know, and, and, and at that time you were just like, uh, you know, a young girl and didn't really think about, oh, my gosh, you know, this is. And, and like you said, you went and vomited afterwards. Mine was an anal thing like he he forced himself on me and i will never forget that moment of just being tripped out you know i did i was 18 years old i had never experienced anything this way like this in my life i did not want to do it and i was screaming no and i felt like you know he raped me um and so yeah i went through the same well you know similar thing 
um and then it was it was just a really bad thing i mean he was just so violent so violent and and so it just started getting worse and worse the violence just became worse and worse um and and he didn't own a gun like you know i know your abuser had guns and um but he owned i mean he had knives so that was his weapon of choice um he had slit my throat one, one time with the dual end um and to and he burnt my my neck he burnt my ear like from underneath my ear all the way to the other side and he said the next time it'll be the sharp end yeah yeah he, uh, yeah he did that and i will never forget it and my daughter was just a baby you know i just had a baby not long ago and and i know i was going through postpartum you know problems and all of that but i was so young i, I didn't understand it i just didn't understand none of that and so it it took me it took me a minute to be able to you know get brave enough to actually leave and and i had to escape like i had to um go to a neighbor's house you know climbing a bedroom cat or a, a, a kitchen cabinet and wait for him to go away and then you know make my final escape you know um yeah it, it was a whole ordeal and you know i've never written about it and i've never actually you know did a book about my biography or nothing but i have spoke about you know a few things on here but i think i have blocked out some things because i will just something will happen and it and it'll make me think about something that happened in the past because it was almost like those, fla yeah. those flashbacks you know it's mm -hmm. one of the, the things that's really amazingly therapeutic about writing a book about mm -hmm. an abusive relationship mm -hmm. is that you remember so many things and mm -hmm. it's a kind of therapy and it took me 10 years to write crazy love um because i needed to go back again and again and really remember and describe and unpack and relive all of the traumatic incidents that happened and also all of the the intoxicatingly wonderful times we had together because that was part of it. If they just beat us all the time, I think it would be a lot easier to leave. Mm -hmm. And if they just beat us on the first date, there'd be no second date. You know, we'd, it'd be just much easier to see. The, the problem for me was that when he wasn't so angry and so out of control, he went back to being that really wonderful man who I'd fallen in love with. And that man was hard to leave. That man was hard to give up mm -hmm. hoping for and working for. Um, and it made it much more complicated. And to mix love and violence together was incredibly confusing. And I think it's really almost impossible for people who haven't been through it to understand how being physically abused like that, having somebody who you love take the dull edge of a knife and tell you that they're going to slit your throat with a sharp end the next time, how that makes you feel so scared that you're too scared to leave. That's what's hard. You know, I think most people erroneously think, well, if somebody did that to me, I'd run out the door. But you don't. You freeze and you, you get really scared. And that's what happened to me when he mm -hmm. got the first gun and the second gun and the third gun. I just got more and more scared. And it was like there was an invisible wall around my house and I couldn't get through it because I was so afraid. Wow. and that's trauma bonding yeah, you know yeah. that's and i didn't know any of that at the time and i think i think if i had known it would have helped me a lot to see it more dispassionately i i didn't think it was domestic violence if you had said to me you know the morning after a, a beating where he hold, held a loaded gun to my head and threatened to pull the trigger 
you know, are you a battered wife? Are you a domestic violence victim? I would have looked at you and said, no, I'm a, a strong, smart, independent woman. And I'm, I'm just in love with a really troubled man and I'm going to help him. Right. I'm determined to help him and to heal him and to fix him because that's what we, women are supposed to do. You know, we're supposed to love men and right. support them and hide their flaws. Sure. And I didn't realize that it would, he was going to kill me, you know, that, and that I didn't owe him that, right. you know, and yeah. that I was never going to get better. And that, in fact, I was the trigger for the abuse. I didn't cause it, but by trying to love him, that's what triggered him. Mm-hmm. Because that, that love is what makes him feel unsafe. Yeah. Love is what makes an abuser feel feel terrified. Right. Yeah, definitely. And and as women, we are nurturers. You know, we are healers and nurturers. And, you know, we do want to make people better and take care of people. And, you know, that's, that's kind of like instilled in us, you know, in a way. And um, we're just kind of naturally like that. And, and I was the same way, you know, I just thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix him. I'm gonna take care of him and I'm gonna make him better and I'm gonna make him happier. And, and, you know, he's not going to do this again and he's going to start being a better man. And, and, you know, I, I won't never forget, you know, him and I was in fear. I was in fear for my life, but he also, you know, threatened my family. You know, you know, I'm going to burn your mom up in her sleep and, and, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And so all of the threats along with him threatening me too, you know, and of course he threatened to kill me multiple times. Um, So, you know, I was just a young girl and I was afraid and I, I, I kind of sometimes look at what I do now and I think to myself, if I would have had me back then, would it had made it easier for me to get help would it would it have caused me to think any differently than I did but I don't know to say whether or not it would have or not you know I know that I I really did need some some type of support you know um but but my thing was is like you you know there was a barrier and I don't even know what to say as if I could have gotten to someone like me so there's so many women out here it's so it's so true yeah, it's just so true, and I think mm-hmm. that's hard for people to, from the outside to understand too. Is how part of the manipulation is that we're psychological and we're taught to mistrust the outside world. Mm-hmm. They don't understand him. They don't understand our relationship. They don't understand how good he can be. Um, they don't understand that he's really serious. That he will kill us if we're gonna if we leave. Yeah. And so we're hard to help. But I also think that it's really important to look at some of the statistics that the most likely time in your life to be an abuse victim is between the ages of 16 and 24. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a coincidence. It's because we're not very strong and we're not worldly. We don't know what relationships are really like. And we don't, you know, young men and women, maybe women in particular because of the way that we're raised, we don't have confidence in ourselves. And so part of it is of ending abuse is strengthening women before they get to that age, you know, when they're in elementary school and early high school and teaching women the red flags and their own worth so that they can see their, they, that they know that it's wrong and that it's really dangerous to be in these situations. I also think that there are times when we are very open to being helped. And the thing that I love about domestic violence advocates, about the work that you do, is that a domestic violence advocate saved my life. 
um, she was the first person who understood. Uh, what happened to me is eventually there, after years of being abused and having the loaded guns held to my head and a lot of other kinds of abuse, um, there was a terrible beating where I was sure he was going to kill me. And he came very close to kill me, killing me. I was unconscious for most of it because he kept strangling me. And the police, I called the police that night and the police really helped me. But when I went to family court, I had an advocate go to court with me. And just like your work, she was in between me and the abuser and she navigated it for me. And she talked to the judge and she was the first person who I felt like she crawled inside my body and understood what I'd been through and told me I was going to be okay. But also it's hard to describe what this felt like, but she, she knew what I'd been through and I'll never forget her going up to my abuser in the lobby outside the courtroom. And he got this big smile on his face. Cause of course he thought he was going to charm her. Mm-hmm. And then I watched his face like that. He just turned white and cause he knew the gig was up and that she saw through him and it made me feel so strong. And she came back to me. She said, it's okay. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to get your restraining order made permanent. I'm going to talk to the judge. I'm going to, she didn't say she was going to save me or take care of me. She was just going to give me the tools that I needed to keep myself safe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know her name. I, I never thanked her because I was in too much shock, but she got my, temporary restraining order made permanent and she sent me on my way like feeling a lot more confident that at least one person in this world understood what I was going through and that that I I that I had a lot more strength than I realized and Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful to that woman and any every advocate out there Mm -hmm. because you might not know how much you're helping us but you're you're saving our lives in the scariest time of our life when we Mm -hmm. have to face our abusers in court and ask for help so we've got 30 seconds left <laughs> so but we can come back on if you want to and do 30 more minutes um of talk time um but i would like to say thank you for talking about all this with with the audience you know it's very important um our voices be heard and so i'm so grateful for you i'm so grateful for you and i'm so grateful for everybody listening and please listen to the ted talk um buy the book crazy love because it's got a lot of details all right well good luck with this hi girls continued okay so here we are we are back recording are you still with me Lisa? Good. okay <laughs> still with you. so she got cut off recording what she was saying at the very end so if you want to plug something leslie like plug where they can find you and maybe I do. It, I and do. Uh, yeah so and, we and can continue this conversation yeah i want everybody to know that they can come to my website lesliebooks.com they can read my book crazy love they can watch my ted talk and then i'm really accessible via social media too on instagram and twitter it's just at leslie books uh and on linkedin and facebook it's just my whole name leslie morgan steiner and i love to continue these conversations with people yeah i know i know you're amazing and i want you to uh wrap this up real quick and just say one more thing and i ask this from every single guest that comes on if there's one thing if if there's a, a female right now who's listening who are who's actually caught up in dv and they need some advice on how to get out and how to you know get to the right people what's something you would say to her the most important thing that you can do is to break the silence and tell somebody about what's happening you can't get out of this alone 
and it'll break your denial by telling somebody and it will ensure that you get help. And it could be a police officer. It could be an advocate. It could be a therapist. It could be your best friend. It's just got to be somebody who you trust, who you know is going to believe you and is going to help you. And so break the silence. It could also be a stranger. You could call your local shelter or the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You could send me an email. You know, it's, but if you break the silence, it's going to shatter your denial and give you more strength than you can possibly imagine. So that's what you need to do right away. Awesome. Awesome. That was some of the best advice. Um, and so guys, we're going to say bye um, on our end and I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Check out Leslie. She is wonderful. Go check out her Ted talk. You will not regret that at all. Um, so anyways, thank you guys as always for listening to the podcast. You're so, um, I'm so grateful and overwhelmed with all of the support. Love you guys. Talk to you on the next podcast. Bye.